Hey, all you savages, you're listening to Eastman's Elevated with Brian Barney. Look at that. Thought of a new intro. I was getting bored 20 in a row, and they all start the same way. I, I got to get more creative at the beginning. Um, so I got a new one this week. I Stay tuned for my creative process in the weeks to come and see what I can come up with. Um, but today on the podcast, Eastman's Elevated, uh, I have on Ryan Lampers. And uh, Ryan Lampers, man, he's just a, a great guy and a super public land hunter. Um, you know, he, he had a great 2016 and it wasn't by accident. The, the guy works really hard at his map study and his planning and, and his nutrition and his fitness. And, and then he's just an animal in the mountains. So really fun to talk to this guy. Sometimes I wonder if I'm, I'm putting out this podcast for everybody else or putting it out for me. I just, uh, I gained so much knowledge talking to these good hunters out there and, and, uh, you know, I having these conversations with these guys and finding similarities and then also differences, you know, in our thought process and in our hunting and, and it's going to improve my hunting, you know, tenfold, hopefully improving your guys's as well. Um, the sponsor for today's show is, uh, Yeti Coolers. Um, Yeti coolers, I, I, they're just the greatest cooler ever made. Now I wish I owned one. I, um, I'm going to get one for this next year. They just, they keep ice so long. Like, uh, you know, instead of having a block of ice last three or four days, you know, you get 10 days out of it. And I, I never thought I'd be a high end cooler guy, but you know, now I can see a need for it, you know, especially on these hunts where you're going and you're trying to keep your food for days. And then and then also, you know, if you harvest an animal, putting it in the cooler, um, one of the neatest features that guys don't talk about is that it's a bear proof container. And so anywhere in the national forest or the wilderness where you have bears, you have to store your food in a, a food safe container. And in your truck doesn't count. In the back of your truck doesn't count. Coolers don't count. And your wall tent doesn't count. But what does is a Yeti cooler. So you're either out in the middle of the night with a headlamp trying to hang your food up in a tree 20 feet and 10 feet away from any branches, or you just lock it up in a Yeti cooler and you're good to go. Um, so I think that's a really good feature of their coolers that, that is, is going to really help me in the woods. Um, uh, at Eastman's, we've got um, the, the mule deer issue coming up in the Eastman's Hunting Journal. Um, so I've got an article in there that I wrote that's a really good article that I'm psyched to come out with. Um, it's about uh, hunting high-pressure mule deer. Also, Brandon Mason has a good one in there, outside-the-box mule deer. So should be a great issue. Looking forward to it. Um, so I've been talking long enough. Let's get this thing started with Ryan Lampers. Enjoy. Okay, I'm live with Ryan Lampers. Ryan, how are you? Man, I'm good, Brian. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Excellent. Well, yeah, man, you had a heck of a 2016. I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed. I um, I just kind of found you through social media um this year, and then I I got on there and I liked the pictures that you were putting out, and all of a sudden you just killed this monster buck out of Nevada with your bow and arrow. That was pretty cool to see. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a great season. Um, couldn't have been more happy how it all turned out. Um, yeah, that. The Nevada was kind of the beginning of it in August there, and and yeah, shoot, what a way to kick it off with a great buck, big old thirty inch buck, and and everything from there just seemed to pan out this year. I I was really really feeling good about going into this season, um, you know, conditioning wise, and I I feel like I did a lot of homework and and was ready for it, and lo and behold, it really worked out. Just a great season. Man, hard work pays off, right? 
Yeah, that's how it's supposed to work, right? And uh, yeah, it, it definitely did this year. So, you, so you do all the train to hunts, and then um, you're really serious about your fitness and nutrition. Um, you've you've got a new podcast out um, that you're doing, Hunt Harvest Health, um, which is a great podcast and fills a really good niche in the hunting industry. But you you really focus a lot on your fitness and on your nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me and my wife have the podcast out, and and we're just trying to focus on you know maybe mixing it up with nutrition and foods and health. And, you know, we're really uh, aware of, of where our bodies are and, and, you know, how we want them to feel and this and that. And nutrition is huge. And, uh, you know, we like growing our own food and preparing it and putting it up and all this kind of thing. And we figure, why not talk about it? Seems to be uh, a lot of folks out there that are curious or, or want to learn about it. And, and, you know, at the same time, mix it up with some hunting stories and a little hunt talk here and there. So, um, but yeah, yeah, the training with train to hunt, um, that's that's huge for me. I, I really enjoy it. I've gotten into it this year and um man, I just I, I can't can't express how much I'm into it now. It's almost like a whole new hunting season. Wow, <laughs> I, crazy. I the first race is coming up in May and, and you know, I got another nice good run in today, a good lifting session and, and uh yeah, just, just hammering away and anticipating uh some really hardcore races and and just you know i love that challenge of it and i just love the guys that are involved in it so it, it really works out well with my lifestyle ah oh, good for you and that it's amazing what a little bit of competition does doesn't it it just like a and not that you have to win every race and it's all to be better for hunting season but you almost start looking forward to and training and making sure you're getting your runs in and and you're lifting and getting everything in so you can perform well at your training for hunting <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and that's that's what it's all about it all comes down to you know where you're going to be at come august or september or whenever you start so, you know, uh, I don't see any drawback to, uh, you know, extending your, your, uh, training out throughout the year. And what train to hunt does just the way it's set up is, you know, you gotta be training right now. You gotta be training in January, February, March, because that first race comes along and man, I don't want to embarrass myself. I want to be ready for it. I want to compete with these guys that are doing it and they're, you know, these guys train some of these guys, um, you know, they're into CrossFit or they're just you know, hardcore bow hunters that, that put a lot of time in the mountains and, uh, you know, you know, you as well as I know, those guys can, can handle some weight and, and, uh, they can shoot. So, uh, yeah, you just gotta, I just, I really love the, the challenge of it and, and getting involved and, and, uh, just, yeah, it's just a perfect fit for me. So I love it. Man, where's that first one coming up in May? Nevada, but it's, uh, Nevada isn't the first one. I think, gosh, I think Oregon comes after that for me. I'm going to do a couple of them this year. Um, they're talking about doing one up in Alaska and I, I really want to go up and, and travel up there and do that as well. So I just think it'd be a great venue up there and, you know, you get to see a little bit of Alaska and, and, uh, you know, see some new scenery and, and bring the family and, and just be a blast. But, um, yeah, Nevada first, and then Oregon, and, and like I say, hopefully Alaska. 
Wow, how cool! All right, well, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna hit you up. I want to join you on one of these things. Uh, it oh. looks great. It looks like um, they try to put enough uh, real hunting scenarios and real hunting training into it to where you know you, all your training is to be better at hunting season. But it looks like these things really prepare you for that. And, and the outcome, I mean, um, your 2016 uh, speaks for itself. You killed three giant bucks, <laughs> and we we talked about that that one in Nevada early, but then you killed one. One in Washington, your home state, which isn't known for big bucks, um, but boy, that was a gorgeous heavy buck too. Kind of in a late season, right? It was, it was, yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, Washington isn't really known for for giant bucks. Nobody comes here from out of state. You know, it's not one of the <laughs> the top dogs. It's not Colorado, Montana, Idaho, or Nevada, um, Utah. There's, there's so many better states that people talk about, and hey, I mean that. That doesn't bother me. Not having any out-of-state hunters is, is great. But, uh, you know, we're a small state. We've got a core area that's that's pretty It's pretty big. I mean, it's got we got a lot of really nice mule deer in there. Um, it doesn't get looked at, I don't feel, as much as other states, even, you know, with us resident guys. And I don't know what it is, but we've got we've got not not the biggest bucks, but, man, we can pull some really nice, you know, upper 20s and, um, heavy dark horn bucks out of there. And it's more of an alpine setting. You know, it's not the wide open above tree lines type hunting that, that you see in Colorado. Um, I know you're real, you're real familiar with that, but it's just, you know, extremely different. You know, you're getting up as high as you can, but that may only be 6,500 to 7,500 feet. And, uh, boy, if you can find a peak at 8,000, you're, you're pretty, uh, you're up there for Washington, but, yeah, it's avalanche shoots and, and openings and, um, and yeah, I mean, we just, every year we, we do like a lot of guys do and we put a lot of time and effort into our summer scouting. And, you know, here we know we gotta have, we gotta have several areas that, that we know there's some good bucks. And if it doesn't pan out in one, you gotta have another one on call and, and head straight for it. Um, you know, it's, it's not that easy to find big open basins where, where you've got a lot of bucks. So you really got to work at it in this state, but it's been good to me and, and, uh, a few of my, my other buddies that, that do it and definitely got areas that you can get away and, and just not see people. Um, no problem with that. Yeah, well, uh, there's a reason for it. It's tough hunting over there. I mean, you guys, um, it reminds me, and we've talked before, but uh, it reminds me of like uh, northwest Montana where you can't get that high up in the mountains, but they are gnarly, rugged mountains. They're like coastal mountains, and so they get a bunch of rainfall and a bunch of snow, so they grow just a ton of underbrush down low, which the underbrush... You know, you look at the mountain range on Google Earth, and it, it looks fairly small, but you get in there, and it's a different story. You're fighting underbrush, and you'll fight for an hour or two hours to make it a mile, and then you're just trying to get up into that high country. And once you get up in there, you, you pretty much scare the hell out of yourself with all the cliffs, and and, uh, yeah. and there's a lot of timber, too. And so those bucks are always bedding where you can't see them. So it's a huge challenge and, and quite a feat, and probably – uh, a lot of the reasons you're a good, a, as good a hunter as you are is from hunting those tough mountains of Washington. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you say. It, it is thick, and I think that's that's kind of an advantage. And, you know, uh, it, kind of the trick is get off trail, and when you get off trail, um, you're, you're dealing with that underbrush, and you may have to cut miles through that stuff and, and try to get to an open area where, you know, you've got some, some vegetation that uh, the deer are feeding on, and 
and you got areas where uh, where they are, but it's a struggle, man. Definitely, it's it's tough country. Uh, really good bear country. We get a lot of black bears here. Um, I love chasing black bears in the fall, and you know we got a lot of berries up there. But uh, boy, that same country that we're chasing bears in, um, you know that's that's the country that we're chasing these big old muleys in as well. So. Yeah, definitely thick, and and you got to put some distance between uh, between you and the trail, and and that just keeps anybody from from going back there. You know, you don't get hikers back there getting off trail and and busting through that that scrub very often, so it works. No, they might die back there. <laughs> <laughs> people get lost a lot around here, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, uh, people just don't venture too far away from the trails and trailheads. Yeah, gnarly, cool country, and it it seems like the more the tougher a hunt is, you know, the more it means to you when you are successful or you do accomplish your goal. And and also there's there's something to be said about you know being by yourself back in there, not seeing other yeah. hunters, and and even if the deer populations are low, you know, you you cover country, and well, and that's another tough thing that I think is the same in Washington as it is Northwest Montana, and you've hunted Northwest Montana too. Um, that gnarly, rugged country, as it cliffs you out up high, you know, you're not able to get on main ridge lines and cover five, six, seven basins. Like, uh, you go no. up into a basin or a drainage, and you're really committed to that basin or drainage, no matter how much underbrush you fought or ridge lines you make. And most of the time, to get out of there, you got to back all the way out that drainage and then go all the way up the next drainage. Yeah. And, and you know, those country, that country just doesn't have the populations of deer. And so, um, you're not finding five to ten to fifteen bucks in every drainage. You're finding one maybe every every two or three or four or five drainages. You know, which makes yeah. it really tough. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you set your you set your sights on a you know a mature buck. You've kind of got an you know an, an idea of what you're looking for. And man, those are few and far between. And like you mentioned, Northwest Montana, real similar to where we where we hunt in Washington here. And you know, it's it's cliffs and it's it's a struggle getting into these places. And and like you mentioned, it's small little areas and pockets and avalanche shoots and. So yeah, a lot of guys don't focus their efforts on those places. They they just assume head east where the where the country's more open and you know more conducive to glass in and, and a little easier on you. But you know, it, bucks grow old and die in that country, and and I just prefer to to hunt these low density areas and, and try to get that one monster out of there and and not deal with people. Um, you know, you you know as well as I do that. Bucks act differently when they just don't see people. When they've gone three, four, five years and they've just never had an encounter with a guy, um, those are the bucks that we're going for, not the ones that have been pressured, you know, from year one. And and uh, it's just a different animal. And yeah. for bow hunting, it's it's like that's what you want, right? That's just picture perfect. Is is finding those areas where they've never seen a person. It's kind of no man's land, if you will. Yeah, you're so right. Bucks do act different, but, you know, in today's day and age, we're always, you know, we're having to hunt different units, and, and even you hunting that tough country, um, it had to be totally different once you went to Nevada and you saw the high populations of deer, but you also had high hunting pressure, and, and you were able to find that giant, you said he was 30-inch, um, boy, what a beast of a buck. That was just a great one in there. And that was your first year hunting Nevada. And so you did, yeah. you know, all your prep work, your physical conditioning, and then you did a, a bunch of map study. And then I think you'd also mentioned that, um, you know, a, you'd met some guys from Hunt to Fit that gave you some good tips as well. Yeah, I, I met some guys down there in Nevada this past season. And, and, uh, 
this was before I knew that I had drawn the tag. And uh, so I met him down there last spring, and, and then lo and behold, found I drew the tag. And shoot, I used those guys for really good intel. You know, I, I picked their brain and probably bugged them a little bit too much. And, you know, just asking questions about what they see at di- different trailheads. And, and like you said, I did a ton of map study and research and Google Earth and everything that we do. And, you know, that, that kind of paints you a picture, but it really doesn't get you your eyeballs on the country it doesn't put boots on the ground so i talked to guys down there and just soaked up everything i could from the outfitters to just just guys that have hunted these regions and man that that just gave me a starting point you know i kind of knew where okay well these guys have seen you know 10 cars at this trailhead that's not a trailhead i want to i want to go to so i i got a, a ton of information from these folks and and it really helped me but um yeah nevada was completely different you know it was it was a little spooky going down there and i've never hunted it never hunted terrain like that i've never hunted high desert you know sagebrush and it's just quakies and and completely different than what i'm used to up here in the northwest and uh so it was a good challenge for me and and uh man i was super excited about doing it actually uh went straight from uh train to hunt event down in utah and from there the next day i drove right over to nevada and and got after it and, and, um, and started chasing, chasing bucks right away. And yeah, like you said, there's a ton of deer down there. It's completely different. You know, you're seeing, you might see 20, 30 bucks a day down there versus up here. You might see a couple few and maybe one good one, you know, that you're going for. And, and so it does open it up. But, you know, the, the thing about Nevada is you kind of know there's some good ones around. Um, it does have a lot more pressure, which kind of puts you in that mode of, all right, now where are guys going to focus? Where's the easy hunts? You know, obviously there's a lot of bucks here. Guys are seeing them. I probably not the place to be probably not going to grow any, you know, old five and a half year old plus bucks. And so you're really, you're forced to, uh, look for those kind of no man's land areas again, off the main ridges and, and down in the holes and, and more timbered areas where bucks can grow old and, that's kind of what I did, and and man, it, it really worked for me. Yeah, well, boy, I I gotta say, you're an animal. You went to the train to hunt, and then straight to your hunt in Nevada. That was a a grueling, tough hunt that you went on down there. But um, no, that you make a really good point of finding those animals, um, you know, off the beaten path. And we've talked about it before, but um, you you gotta put your blinders on. You see a lot yeah. of smaller, more immature bucks, twos, threes, and fours, and even some bucks that that tempt you that are on the edge of being a shooter. But um, you know, in that country. You know, I think I told you that that hunt I went on in Nevada, you know, I I probably had to pass up 50 or 60 bucks before I finally started to find the zones where the bigger bucks were hanging, where you were finding the more mature bucks, the four, five, six-year-old deer. And like you say, they're down off the main ridgeline. They're down these spur ridgelines, and they're down in more cover and tough country to glass, and they're they're just off the beaten path. And so no matter what country you're hunting, you've got to get off that beaten path and find those those little hidden away gems of country where those bigger bucks can grow old absolutely yeah you know i i just happened to get lucky i found this buck kind of like you mentioned it it was off off ridge you know in a spot where it was a small spot it was a small basin off of all the main basins where you know i figured most guys over the years would be you know more pressed to look at and 
you know, I was, I was, there was bachelor groups like crazy, you know, on the one side of the range. And I just figured more guys are going to focus their efforts. You know, there, there's a lot of 24, 25 inch bucks running around and, and, you know, most bow hunters are, man, that is, that is great. So, um, I just felt like I kind of wanted to get away from that and, and maybe find a loner somewhere or, or a small group of, of real mature bucks. And, and that's kind of what I did. And, um, man, it, it, one of the, one of the first bucks I saw was, was the biggest buck. And, and that's the one that I ended up, uh, going after and, and got really close to getting him right away. And, and then, um, boy, it didn't happen. And I lost him and, and didn't relocate that buck for another six days before I ended up, uh, before I ended up killing that monster. So it just really worked out well. It was, it was a real tough hunt and, Man, I'm glad I didn't kill him uh, the first time I saw him because I, you know, having six more days out there to just really cover it, look it over, know what I was, I was, you know, uh, what I was getting into, and all these adjoining basins that that I was just searching out for this buck. I got an opportunity to see a lot more country, um, a lot of elk and cougar, and just had a lot more experiences. Um, you know, the longer I was there and. And it just worked out. It couldn't have been a better hunt, just just how it how it went. Man, crazy. So um, so you made a play after this buck, and then didn't kill him, and then he disappeared, and you didn't see him for six days. And so you you had your mind set on a next level buck, and you had seen this buck. You knew he was thirty. He had deep forks. He had it all. It was the buck you were gonna kill, or one like him. And and so you found him. Uh, had a stock that didn't work out, and then you spent the next handful of days just looking for him in that basin and adjoining basins trying to relocate him. Exactly. Yeah, I, when I first saw this buck, he, um, man, I, I thought I had a great play on him, and it was kind of it's kind of one of those those situations where it was early in the hunt. I, I see this monster. I phone scope him. I take some photos. I I blow him up. I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, that's a good buck. Am I really seeing this for what he is? And, and I was like, gosh, you know, I just, I'm going to kick myself if I don't go after that giant, even though it was early. And uh, I did make a play on him that night. Um, man, I got close. I got within 55 yards and right above him. Everything worked out just great. Um, you know, the wind was just ripping through the quakey. So I was able to get down on him and ended up having to sit on him for three hours and left all my gear up top with no water. It was, it was just one of those situations. And, um, he came through, didn't give me a shot and, uh, kind of fed up and over this little finger ridge. And I had to back all the way up to the top of that basin, move over, relocate him. And, uh, I realized he just moved up and over that, that finger ridge just a little bit before he bedded down. So I went back down into that basin, um, went, kind of took this kind of kind of went down and got right up on the boulder it's like a it's like a semi-sized boulder and uh, put me 55 yards right above him and man i was at full draw and and finally when he decided to stand up he stood up and i did not have a shot i just had one quakey where he he got up and it just wasn't a good shot and so he ended up boogering out of there and and bounded away and i thought oh my gosh i blew it you know and and so I backed out and, and, uh, yeah, like, like you mentioned, I spent the next six days just scouring that country and, and looking in every basin, you know, down side to side. Um, and I ended up seeing some, you know, another really, really good buck. And this other buck was well over 200 inches. And, 
Um, he was another buck that I would have loved to get, you know, to get and have opportunity at, but he just never gave me a, a spot to, uh, to put a stock on him. He was bedding in some quakies that there was just no way it was going to happen. And, and so I just kept going back and, and spent, I don't know, man, Brian, I don't know how many hours I spent glass in this base and just hoping he would come back. And he did, you know, six days later, I was, I was at the very top on this ridge and glassing down in there and and man lo and behold he came and he took the exact same path when i saw him that first night and uh and he was feeding across and and he ended up feeding all the way over and and got into that same exact bed and so you know that made it easy on me i knew the exact route i had to take and um, i was going to take a little bit different approach down below that boulder and and that's what i did and um had a real similar up uphill wind that was just you know, it was it was causing that shake in the quakies where it was pretty nice and loud. And so it wasn't a, you know, I, it just made stocking all that much easier. And I got down in there and I got within 40 and that was as far as I could get and um, waited him out. And when he stood up, I, I drilled him and, and that was it. And man, it all worked out. Oh, man, that is so awesome. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, and, and it's crazy that that buck came back to the same spot even after spook, but they just get so familiar. You know, they've got like this this prime living where they live and they live within about a square mile, it seems like, you know, and they they just kind of live in these trees and they come out in these meadows and they may have a circuit of feeding or a circuit of bedding, but they kind of like that same area. And then when they get spooked, They've got like the secondary living they go to and they kind of more hidden and more secluded and it's, it's where they go when they're pressured or, or during danger hunting season, you know, and, and then pretty soon, like you say, he thinks the coast is clear and comes right back to that same spot. And how cool is that when you stalk a buck? in a location where you've stalked before it's like you know the terrain you know the exact approach how you're going to do things different what's quiet where there's you know loose rocks where there where where are you going to place your feet where are you going to get a shot what you can see from your your shooting lanes or your spot but uh, i love it when a buck will bed in the same spot and uh, usually if i get a second chance at him you can make it happen but man what what an awesome buck and an awesome story i have to ask i've hunted uh nevada um three or four years um the the lightning is notoriously bad there did you uh get any lightning in nevada i did man i did i had a, i had a really good time one day um man i i was i was blazing up a ridge and and uh gosh i saw the storm coming and you know i just i didn't know what it was going to be i just knew some wind was coming in and figured well i'm just going to kind of duck on one side of this big old boulder there's like three boulders on the top of this ridge and Remember, I was up 10,400 feet or something like that, and you know I didn't think much of it. And uh, so I'm kind of hunkered up against this rock, and there's a nice little overhang, and and I'm taking a break and just gonna wait this thing out, and and eventually, you know, it's it's over there. But I I was like, man, I'm I'm bored, so I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna I'm gonna cruise this ridge up to where I'm, I want to get to, um, which happened to be the basin that that I ended up getting that buck in, and and so man, as soon as I stood up. I started hearing some rumbling and, uh, I took, I don't know, I took maybe 10 steps and right in front of me, the second rock on that ridge, which is lower than me, got exploded with a lightning bolt. And it's, this is a hundred feet in front of me. It's 30 yards in front of me. And man, I mean, I jumped up. I think I did a pirouette in the air. I dropped my bow. I blasted down the mountain and, um, and just dropped probably 1,500 feet in a, in a couple seconds, it felt like. But, 
Yeah, that was about as, as scary as it gets. And man, I mean, the hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up. There's like energy all over the mountain. And man, it was just like, I just, I just happened to be looking exactly where that bolt struck. <laughs> oh was, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I felt pretty lucky to escape that, you know, without getting, uh, getting blasted because I was higher than that rock was. And it just happened to hit that rock instead of me. And, uh, and I don't know how it did because I was holding my bow at the same time, which is an aluminum bow. And yeah, so I ended up blasting down and, and getting my, my gear on and, and sitting out about an, I don't know, it was quite a while. The rain came in after that and it was just ripping all around me for a long time and, and finally cleared out. But, uh, yeah, that, that woke me up for sure. Man, that stuff's spooky, isn't it? You don't need too many of those. To ha- those scenarios to happen to you to where you're really leery about lightning in that high country it's uh, it's just not to be messed with up there like you say you know when, when you have storms in the valley and such you know it's a lot of cloud to cloud lightning but when you're up in that high country it hits it hits peaks it hits ridge lines it hits rocks it hits rock yeah. outcroppings and, and it'll just scare the heck out of you and i you know i've almost got you know now i'm just super safe because i've been in so many bad scenarios you know i've been in the dark on ridge lines and had to come down i i had uh one buddy of mine uh dan hunting colorado and we were we were 12 six or something and skirted over to this vantage point looking at this back basin the day before season and so we had skirted this big mountain that we had to skirt back around to come to camp and uh all of a sudden these clouds and this fog came in and it didn't even feel like a storm or anything it just kind of felt like it was clouding up up high and the first lightning strike hit that mountain you know maybe a hundred yards above us and just boom you know all the way around you and so we we started grabbing our gear and we started trying to make it around that mountain and it was like the lightning was shooting at us it was hitting all around us and finally it told dan i said we got to get off the mountain we got to go now like your scenario where you ran 1500 feet down we took off straight down the mountain on a 50 degree slope just trying to get the heck out of there and then you know, i said we got to get down we got to get down to that low depression down there in that group of trees and so we're we're hustling to that and then lightning hits those group of trees that we're running towards you know and at oh, one man. point we're sitting in a little ditch you know and dan looks over at me white as a ghost and and dan uh he doesn't scare easy you know it takes about he looked over at me and asked me if i knew cpr and it just it gets that spooky in the high country where it just scares the heck out of you where you just learn not to take those chances anymore and and yep. like like your scenario that that was one of the first lightning strikes was right around you at least one right of the first there. close ones yep yeah i i mean i've been in a lot of those storms before and if it would have been shooting around me before that i, I would have blasted down the mountain well ahead of that but just the fact that i mean i just stood up and there it was that was the, the big crack and it was just right there on the on the mountain i was standing on and Man, I mean, yeah, I, I've always feel, and the thing about it is, it's just a big bald face. So there was no trees. It was like a couple of boulders and me. And you know, I've been in a lot of those situations in Washington where you're up there and it is blasting all around you. And um, but but there's timber, you know, there's trees around and and higher peaks. And it, I just I, I just feel a little safer. I don't know why. I probably not. I shouldn't feel safer, but I do feel safer when I'm in that timber and. 
man, up on that bald face, I did not feel very safe. I, I was I was lucky to escape that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm with you. I like, um, you know, anytime lightning comes for me, that's, you know, and I, I try to, you get to be almost a weatherman when you're in the high country because those storms roll in, you know, sometimes they'll roll in every day, every afternoon, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, and you got to really read the storms and you try not to take chances because you do watch it hit peaks and watch it hit ridgelines, you know, but yeah, you get to be a weatherman man kind of reading the clouds coming in and boy that one kind of looks electric or in nevada is super electric that place uh-huh. is just uh the lightning just lights that place up but um i i'm like you i i play it really safe and and i feel more comfortable in that timber and i like to I like to get down off the main ridge lines, definitely off the main ridge, but even the spur ridge lines, I get down off of those, and I like to find low spots, and I like to yeah. find groups of trees that I can kind of get in and ride out the storm, and then I feel pretty good about it, and I also like to to camp in those spots too and so it's really easy to camp on spur ridge lines but there's nothing worse than a lightning storm in the middle of the night where you don't trust your tent set up. No kidding, yeah, and I... You know, I I had kind of been warned. I, I knew Nevada was like that, and I knew, you know, the country I was in. But um, And I had seen storms, you know, past ranges. When you're up there in Nevada, you can look across the valley and, and see the next the next uh, range, you know, a long ways off. And I was seeing those, those ranges just get showered with lightning bolts. And, you know, but that was the one storm that came through, just kind of snuck up on you, and, and that was that. But... Uh, yeah, pretty spooky, man. Definitely, uh, definitely learned a little bit there, and I will not be uh, taking those dark clouds for granted from here on out. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Well, and those are the worst storms. Is that one you were in where the storm yeah. almost forms around you, and the first lightning strikes right on you? And I can't. I mean, I probably had a dozen storms that hit me like that, and you just you can't prepare for them. It's a lot easier to prepare when you hear the lightning and see it coming and hear the thunder. But when that yeah. storm forms right around you like that, that's tough to read and tough to call when that first strikes right around you. But it sounds like you did everything right. I think Nevada's just a, a pretty electric there. It is, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I went back and I ended up getting some photos of the rock that it blasted. It kind of just left some lines on there. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't know what it would do to that rock. And it kind of picked the whole upper shelf up a little bit and kind of shook it. And uh, so I took some pictures of, of what that looked like. But, man, every time I walked past that spot after that, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. It was just energy. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty <laughs> Mother Nature is amazing. So, yeah, then you'd uh, walk by that spot and look at it every time and have an eerie feeling yeah. right around it, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. When but, I've seen lightning pick a spot like that and then strike that spot two or three times in the same storm or the next storm, like there's just something with a rock outcropping or a point, or, and it doesn't even have to be the high spot, but sometimes that lightning's just drawn to a spot like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm just not used to hunting those big wide open places, you know, and, and here in Washington, you know, you got big timber Typically, you got big timber where your camp is, or, or you easily can get to it fairly quickly. And um, it's just, it's just never been that big of a worry for me. I, like I said, I've been in some nasty ones, but never one that hit that close. And and now, you know, obviously, I I treat things differently if I was hunting Colorado or ever get the opportunity to hunt Nevada again. And Oh, man, I, I will be, like you said, I'll be a weatherman from here on out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you will. Um, yeah, like you say, just different terrains have different challenges, but it's part of what's fun, you know, in that um, 
you know, not that lightning fun is fun or not that having near-death experiences is fun, but there's something when you're out on your own wits and, you you know, you've got to keep yourself safe in, the, in those wildernesses and those mountains, you know, and you've got to make the right decisions. But it's this visceral, you know, experience that draws us in where we, you know, it, it's like you – all of a sudden, you know, traffic isn't a problem or your your last paycheck or your, you know, taxes or whatever it is. You know, you just don't think about that. You have to focus on the right now, getting yourself safe from lightning or, you know, yeah. uh, not falling off a cliff. But that's that's part of the fun, too, and part of what makes an adventure hunt. And we just try to get smarter as the years go on and, and make better choices. And I made a ton of mistakes when I was younger with lightning. And so that's why I've learned and I've almost gone the other way to where a you know, I'm almost too paranoid now with lightning, but, you know, it, it'll it just make you that way with, like you say, those big open basins, nowhere to hide from it. You ride out a few of those and you, you think, I don't want to do that again. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, I mean, that's the challenge, right? That's, that's the, that's why we love the solo hunts and, um, you know, it, I, at least I do. And it, it, there's always a challenge in it and just keeping yourself alive in some of these situations we put ourselves in and, and, uh, man, that's living. I think it's, it's, you know, these cliffed out situations and, and lightning strikes and man, every part of it, I, I, I dig it. It's, it's great. Well, and it looks like, um, it, you know, you did a heck of a job in Washington. So you killed that buck in Nevada. I can't remember. You killed a monster buck in Montana in the Eastern part of the state with high pressure. I was just so impressed by that buck, but I don't know if you killed that Washington buck. I think you killed that Washington buck next, right? And you had a, a yeah. bunch of snowy, wet Washington weather and that stuff can be dangerous too and tough to survive in and, and just tough mentally to keep yourself out there waiting for the storm to break so you can actually hunt and see something that's got to wear on you too. It does, man. You really got to prepare your mind for it. And I just think that comes with experience. You know, I, I've taken guys up there that just haven't hunted, you know, their whole lives. And, you know, there's certain situations where whether it's beating through brush, trying to get, you know, somewhere, a couple miles of underbrush will drive you crazy if you're not used to it or haven't done it and, and learn to enjoy it. And uh, just being alone or, or being in situations where, yeah, the fog comes in and you are just pinned down and and you're just stuck there with your wits and, and, uh, you know, you, you gotta have a good mental game going into some of these hunts. And that's how Washington was this year. Uh, fortunately I was up there with a buddy of mine. Um, and, uh, and so I had some company, but man, just a grinded out type hunt where we thought we were in for like the most ideal situation. You know, we had a big storm come through 15 inches of snow dumped and then it looked like after that we were just going to get one to three inches and, and that was going to be it and it was going to clear up well that didn't happen we we got that big dump went in right after that and uh man the fog settled in and and we were pinned down in a basin for a long time just kind of waiting for that fog to lift and you know i thought oh, it's gonna you know push a lot of these bucks down into here and it's just a perfect migration and um and it started snowing, man. We got another 15 inches of snow, and it was just <laughs> brutal. So we had to climb out of that hole and, and drop a ton of elevation and, and get back down to where we started seeing some bucks. And, and um, yeah, I mean, you just basically get a vantage, and you get these little windows, and you're just praying for, like, five minutes of open, uh, you know, through the clouds, and, and you can get, you know, an opening to look at the hillsides. and. And geez, it was like few and far between a couple of those days where you're just you're just wishing for something to look at. And yeah, it just gets it just it just grinds on your mind. And 
yeah, that hunt ended up uh, having a little window. Um, saw saw some deer in, in this spot and and uh, you know picked out quite a few little bucks and ended up locating a good one and and ended up uh, the next day getting had to drop a bunch of elevation and get down in there and and ended up getting in on him and and actually it put us all the way down at snow line so we had to dump down quite a ways and and ended up getting that thing and and yeah just for washington you know that's kind of what we shoot for you know a, a mid 20s 26 inch buck that's you know heavy and good frame and and all that and that's that's really what that's the ideal buck for washington yeah no that was a great one and i you made some really good points talking about it but i think to be successful you have to embrace the grind, embrace the suck. Like it's not going to be fun all the time. And and to be successful, you have to be able to endure those those times. You know, and whether it's it's lightning or hunting pressure, t- long miles, or it's the weather, it's the snowstorm that you got to ride out for multiple days. Like like I really attribute most of my success or a lot of my success is just that mental toughness, just that never give in, that never quit. And I think the same thing's true for you, you know, listening to you talk and talk about these hunts and, and seeing the success that you had. But it's, it's just this, this mental toughness, this embrace the grind, embrace the suck. And, and you get a lot of that from experience hunting and giving in early and going home and going, man, why did I come home early? You know, why, why yeah. I could still be up there and, you know, it, it's, it's tough up there and it seems like, you know, that you're never going to accomplish your goals and you come down early and you just kick yourself and, and you do that and you go, I'm never doing that again. And so you just get tougher and tougher. And, and also, you know, I get a lot of toughness as I'm sure you do is from your training, pushing, you know, pushing the envelope in your training, you know, it hurts and it, you don't want to run another mile. You don't want to run another 10 miles, but you make yourself do it mile after mile, you know, step after step, one after the other. And it's that mental toughness that you sharpen and harden and then when you get on one of those tough hunts like you're prepared for it you can endure the 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 tough points of the hunts to see the fun and exciting points when you get a stock and and when you do get a shot or get a chance at a buck you know and and so i think that's an important lesson is is successful hunters you got to embrace the grind absolutely yeah yeah i mean you know, I've said this to a lot of guys before, and, you know, we pass a lot of bucks sometimes going into a, an, an area um, it, just because I want the hunt to be hard. I don't want it to be easy. Uh, that's the last thing I want. I, when I when I go into my room and I'm looking at antlers, I don't want to look at that buck that I got on the first day and, and, and tell that story. I want to tell the story of the one that I was in there for 10 days and I got him on the last day, last half hour. And Man, Brian, I mean, I don't know, I don't know why it happens, but it, it just happens that way. There's so many hunts that, that you grind it out and grind it out and grind it out and it works out in the end. You know, it works out on day six or seven or 10. And, and, uh, I think, you know, over the years, you've had a couple experiences like that and you just get to know that, you know, it could happen at any point. You could get that one opportunity at any point. And that goes for elk hunting and deer hunting as well. And, I think some guys, you know, they, they get pushed out of the mountains or they get pulled out like a magnet just because they don't, they get that impression. This is not going to happen. But I think if you've done it enough and you, and you've grounded out a hunt just like, like we have, I think you, you come to the point where you're like, yeah, it, it will happen because it, it's happened so many times in the past where I, I, I grinded it out and, and it happened in the end. And that's what I look forward to. I don't, I don't want to shoot a buck off the road on my way into a hunt. I want to hit that trailhead. I want to get as far back as I can and and put in the time, and, and I want the challenge of it. Um, that's what makes the hunt, and that's what makes it exciting. 
for sure for me anyway. Oh man, that is so killer and so well said. No, you're you're absolutely right. And it's it's wild. Like sometimes on hunts and and I keep the faith just like you do and I know I just need a sliver opportunity and I just need one chance but sometimes it just feels like it's not going to happen but you know I I've, I've been there so many times like you say that it's like I I just keep grinding and I keep going and it comes together and it's just like time after time like it yeah. it just happens for me and it it seems like such this far fetched maybe I've messed up stocks maybe I missed a shot maybe I you know who knows but you just keep pushing and keep grinding and then all of a sudden like like magic it just comes together for you which is just yeah. wild that you say that you know because i have that yeah. same feeling sometimes like magic man that's a good way to put it because that's yeah exactly how i feel it's just like it i just have a feeling like it's gonna happen i know it doesn't look like it's gonna happen right now and things are crappy and the weather sucks and haven't been seeing deer but uh, i think i'm in the right area and you know i know there's good bucks here and and that's all it takes, and and it just seems to happen in the end. And uh, I don't know how many times it has happened that way, but it's a, it's been a lot. And you know, both like I said, both deer and elk, and and it just bam. I mean, it, with elk especially, it seems like with elk, you know, especially calling them in, it can happen, and you get to be depressed, and 30 seconds later, you just arrowed a bull, and and uh, you know, with deer, it doesn't happen like that, but. You know, it, it usually, like I said, there's so many times and experiences I've had over the years that it's just, it comes together in the end. And I can't explain it, <laughs> but yeah. it is like magic. <laughs> it is. No, you're absolutely yeah, right. No, that's a, a super good point. Yeah, no, I, I like to hear that from another successful hunter. Um, yeah. Yeah, so another spot where uh, you had complete magic was Eastern Montana this year. I gotta say, I was so impressed by that buck. It was uh, I hunt Eastern Montana a lot, a lot, and I really like it, and I work really hard at it out there. Um, you you came from Washington and drove over, and and you have a bunch of experience in Eastern Montana. You've hunted it before, and you've killed some good bucks out there. But that one you killed this year, so heavy and palmated and deep forked, and and that's not the norm from for Eastern Montana. But you just killed a monster in there. What was your secret to success to finding a good spot in there? You know, in a high pressure area because it's a general tag for all us residents, non residents. I mean it. It feels like there's thousands of guys driving those roads out and through there. How did you find success? Yeah, that's exactly right. Eastern Montana is, is kind of funny. It, it It is high pressure. There's a lot. It's easy access for the most part. You know, there's a lot of roads, and it's pretty wide open, so guys can glass long distances. But kind of what I, and like you mentioned, I've hunted it uh, quite a few times in the past. I've put a lot of time to northwestern Montana um, just because I really enjoy that low-density stuff, but Man, I just, there's something that draws me over to that east side that it just pulls me over there. I, I love it. I love that open, coolie country. And, um, you know, every year I feel like I get better at hunting it. And, and yeah, so kind of what, how this year went on that is me and a buddy, we, we kind of had this idea. Uh, wanted to just pick some spots on a map, find some public land, BLM land that I've never looked at before. So that's what I did. And so I spent a ton of time on the map and, um, and I kind of spread some areas out and put X's on there. And, and, you know, we hopped in the rig and headed that way. And, uh, you know, first spot that, uh, that I was looking at, I, I kind of wanted to check a few spots off and kind of save the best for last. And that, and that's what I did. And so we, we checked out the first spot and man, I was seeing some, some nice bucks, pretty good amount of bucks. Um, you know, it was during the rut. So they were moving around and, and made that fairly easy. 
And, you know, I, I just looking on the map, it looked like an area that I could get away from people and, and might have some uh, some opportunities at, at some holdover bucks and and uh, seeing some pretty decent bucks. But I just when I got there and we put a few miles on and camps on our back and, and got as far in as we could, just didn't have that feeling like this would be an area that uh, that's going to have some really old gray face bucks. It just didn't just didn't have have that type of feel to it. It didn't have the perfect terrain that I was looking for. It didn't have uh, as much timber. It was a little too wide open. Um, so it kinda, we kind of buggered out of there and, um, and headed to spot number two. And spot number two, what I'd done is I'd kind of picked this area amongst it – was, it was a big block of public land, and then it had a lot of private land surrounding it. And there was a small access that I figured out that I was going to be able to get in there. And what it, what I was counting on or banking on was that the public, the private access, they were not, people weren't going to have access to it. Maybe the road, nobody was going to let anybody in there. You know, there was a few roads that would go through the private stuff, but I was kind of just hoping that, uh, that nobody had access to it. Well, we woke up and, and started in there and, and quickly realized, man, um, somebody's allowing people in off their private. So, that piece kind of got blown up pretty fast. I was starting to see rigs bouncing around back there and um, great country. But, you know, when you're when you're looking at a map and you're looking on Google Earth, you can only do so much. And until you really get eyeballs on it and and boots on the ground, you just can't get, you know, the entire picture. And so we picked up, um, drove quite a few hours beyond that and and hit the next spot. And, and this is the spot that I was really I, I really had my hopes set on. And uh, no matter what, I wanted to get here and, and at least check it out. And so we, uh, yeah, I got everything loaded up and, and planned on, you know, basically a, a week's worth of time back there. And, and uh, man, covered a ton of country. And, and it was an area where there was no roads and really limited ability to access it. And and got in there and, and boy, crossing that country is not as easy as it looks. You know, you got, you got big, deep coolies and and timbered coolies and things that you just can't see when you look across it. And, and it all looks flatter on Google Earth. So once we got there, um, yeah, it was, it was time consuming to just get to the spot that, uh, that I felt, you know, had, could carry a big buck, carry some big holdover bucks. And so we, we finally got in there and man, lo and behold, it started, started finding some critters. And, um, you know, we, we got into some coolie country where, had a little bit more timber, you know, where I figured it might suck in some of those older age class bucks and, and, uh, had some deep gorges. And, and I knew that, that nobody be back in here checking out this spot. And, and sure enough, it, it kind of came together that way. There was nobody back there. We were not seeing boot prints back there. So, um, man, yeah, I found this buck. He skylined himself, uh, boy, it was a long ways away and, and made a play on him, ended up getting him. And holy smokes, yeah, for that country, to get a big, heavy, dark horn buck like that, that was not expected because I've I've chased bucks all over eastern Montana and I have yet to find one that's really heavy and uh, and really dark horned and and man, he must have just picked out a spot down in that coulee in that dark tim- or in that timber that that nobody ever looked at this buck and and he got to be pretty old and and um and uh, yeah, just not typical. He looked like a buck that you would find in northwest Montana. You know, he had those dark horns and, and real heavy bases and not something I would have ever expected to get on that those eastern plains. 
Yeah, man. Oh, what a deer. That thing was just beautiful. There was uh, so many good tips and tactics that were hidden in that story about eastern Montana. You're just doing everything the right way. You know, you're studying your maps in Google Earth and, and you spend hours looking at it and then you're circling those spots on a map, you know. And, and like you say, it always looks different than, than what you looked at on Google Earth and what you looked at on a map. But you have a good idea that, yeah, this might be a good spot, but you come up with not just one spot, you come up with multiple spots and multiple backup plans so you know where your next spot is. So you don't put all your eggs in one basket and go, this is a spot I'm going to hunt, and then you get in there and go, well, this is no good. Now where do I go? And now you're trying to do map study and map research on the hunt. It just doesn't work as well. And so you came up with a game plan, circled multiple different spots, you know, and, and the first two didn't pan out. And another thing you did is in that country, there's a lot of road hunters, and, and if they aren't road hunters, they're day hunters where they're hiking yeah. from their truck and hiking back. Nobody's backpacking in that country. I mean, me and no. you might be the first two guys that ever backpack in eastern Montana, but you know, that that getting away, getting farther back, accessing further country, that was a total key to your success in finding that buck. But oh man, kudos yeah, to I, you. It's really easy over there to really kind of get to fall into the line like most of the residents do over there, and that's just hunt off the road. Because, yeah, there's bucks, and, yeah, you're going to see bucks just glassing from your truck or just, you know, putting a mile off the off the trail or off the road, and, and you're going to see bucks, and you're going to have, uh, you know, opportunities at, at bucks, maybe three-and-a-half-year-old bucks or, or whatever. And, and, it, and a lot of people, I think, get tempted, and, and they don't – they just don't put those blinders on to get into those key areas where you're going to find a buck that's that can uh, kind of outlive that traffic and, and get beyond that. And most people tend to shoot those uh, mid-range bucks, and, and they're happy with it, and, and they think that's kind of all there is. But, yeah, like you said, I've never met – I've never seen a spike-out camp over there. I've never seen anybody, you know, treat it like backcountry and go in. It's, it's all uh, truck camping or, or hunting from the road or – you know, hunt from campgrounds and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I never seen it. Yeah, and so a good tip for high-pressure areas where there are a lot of roads cut in is, is just, you know, think outside the box. Think of a, a different approach that's different than everybody else is doing. And I, you know, I've had that same thing where I've hunted eastern Montana. You know, gosh, I probably got 100 days in that country. Um, but, I, but I had that same template for success that you ran. And I, I hunt with my bow over there during rifle season. But, man, I chase some really good, heavy, older age class bucks. And then, um, you know, I ended up harvesting a, a decent buck. Um, wasn't quite what I was after. But I, I went back over with my dad um, the next weekend. And, and, and he was able to kill a buck that was aged at six and a half years old. Now, now those are the bucks that, that we're chasing yeah. and looking for. And, and he was the same way, like you say, not a typical muleate eastern montana he was heavy horned black horns you know he was living in a burned area uh, but just a gorgeous buck and not the not the typical three to four year old bucks that you see cruising those roads in a mile off the road but um man good for you, you like you say you almost got to have belief that you're going to find one of those older age class deer you make your game plan and stick to it multiple backup plans did your map research um just an awesome buck i'm super impressed yeah, yeah, it's fun, man. I, and like I said, you know, every every time I go over there, I'm really hard pressed to uh, is it going to be northwestern or is it going to be eastern Montana that I go for this year? And this year, I I kind of I uh, really wanted to challenge myself in that country to to try to get one of those old gray face bucks, and and it worked out. Now next year, I don't know. You know, it, it might be northwest Montana that sucks me in, and 
I've come to love that low density area where you just don't find hunters up in, in that Northwest country very much, at least that I've seen. And, you know, because like you said, it, it's really tough up there. It's cliffy and it's, it's thicker and it's not the, it's not as nice to hunt as it is in Eastern or, or even middle Montana where, you know, you got a lot easier access to travel and hit ridges and, and just cruise country. And it just doesn't, that that's not the case in Northwest Montana, but, uh, I've really come to love just just seeking out those big heavy horn suckers that that they just grow old and die back in that country and and nobody really sees them and and nobody really wants to spend the time in those small little patches where where you could get uh, could get lucky and, and get onto a real bruiser. No, you're so right. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I never know which way to go to hunt the mountains or or hunt the plains or you know I never know what's my best chance. But I'm like you. I love hunting those those heavy horned big mature deer like you killed in eastern montana but they're they're more common you know in in northwest montana in that tough rugged country they grow big heavy gnarly bucks in there and so i'm I'm drawn to that as well and like you say i have a hard time picking which direction in my state i'm gonna drive and i'm gonna hunt because you just never know you know what's gonna be your best chance and your best chance for a big deer yeah yeah every time i mean i can't pass up a taxidermist guy over there in montana i i just gotta swing in and look and you know you you swing into some guys in the on the western front there uh northwest and all that and man you're seeing some bruisers you know some really old tanks that have just you know older age class bucks and heavy dark horns and uh, you know you get on the eastern side and and you see a lot of bucks you know the rafters are filled with bucks but that's usually a, a thinner horned lighter horned and you just don't get those age class bucks as, as often so it's really a, a much higher challenge to uh, to find one on the east side but i think your challenge kind of uh you know it's just the same in the northwest corner as as it is just finding a buck up there is a challenge so completely <laughs> different but yeah no it sure is well and uh you sound like mass makes the buck or makes the bull, doesn't it? When they're massive yeah. or heavy, it doesn't matter if they don't score as much as another buck or another bull. For me, when they're massive like that, that that's a true trophy to me. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a, I've got a story that I, I I was chasing this buck here in, in Washington one year, and and uh, you know I, he was full rut, he was going crazy, he was he was knocking off smaller bucks, and and uh, had this other really good buck come in and. You know, just a, a really nice big, I think he was a five, he was a five or a five by six and just a beautiful buck. But you could tell he was, he was a younger buck. And this bigger buck, he was just an old regress and really cool dark horns on him and, um, just a way bigger body. And, uh, and man, I opted to go for that one and, and that's the one I ended up getting. And he was just heavier. He just had a lot more character to him. And yeah, he didn't score as well, but just man, for me, that was just, that was a much better trophy uh, to get that old regress than it was that younger buck for sure. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, uh, well, you've had a ton of success um, over the years, and I know you're going to have a ton more success coming up. You're just doing everything the right way and adventure seeker and always keeping yourself in, in good health and good fitness. I, I'm just super impressed by what you've done, and, and uh, we have to keep in touch. I want to do one of these train to hunts. And, and, guys, if you get a chance, check out uh, his podcast. I'm a huge fan. Hunt, hunt health. Oh, gosh. 
Put Hunt Harvest Health. Oh, gosh dang it. Sorry, Ryan. Yeah, uh, Hunt Harvest Health. Um, they, it's an awesome podcast, and you and your wife do a great job of getting information out there and really fill a good niche in the hunting community. Um, so go check out his podcast, and then you can also find him. Um, he's on Instagram, where I found him as uh, Stealthy Hunter, and he's yep, got a SDH. great Instagram page. So uh, go check it out. Yeah, and, and you're like me. You're um, new to Instagram within the, pa- the, the last year or two, right? Yeah, yeah, my wife hooked me up with that mess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah, mess, you know, but it's, I, it's good though, right? I, I, oh, I love it now, man. It, she, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was a tough one to get involved with it, but now I love it. I mean, it's, it's just introduced me to so many cool people and, and I really see a lot of opportunity here to talk to younger guys that are just getting into it and, I just love answering questions from, from guys that want to know about gear or tactics or, you know, areas or, or just anything, you know, it's, it's pretty cool how it works out. And, um, I, I think it's a great source, you know, you know, I, I've been doing this a while and, and I love sharing information and and it seems like this is about the best way I've found to do that with younger guys. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I was banging rocks for a long time and and finally joined social media. But um, yeah, it's been one of the best things I've done. Like you say, you can reach so many other guys and you're able to, you know, share a lot of your pictures and share information. You know, a lot of your success from Nevada came from guys sharing information. And and I think you put that information right back out in the world and in the hunting community. And and just like I do, I'm always willing to answer questions and willing to help. And and, and especially guys that are out there that are willing to work hard and and uh trying to gain information and and get better and and be a better hunter and so um yeah no i i really like the instagram too so i'm glad you're on there i'm glad i'm able to connect with you i want to keep in touch with you and and i want to have you on again you know in the future you're just a wealth of information there are so many good tips and tactics in in this podcast so um thanks a bunch ryan i really appreciate it man yeah yeah thank you brian thanks for having me on really appreciate it Man, what I tell you guys, that was a great podcast there. Uh, Ryan Lampers just did a super job and, and good conversation all the way through and just full of tips and tactics. Um, go check Ryan out, uh, Stealthy Hunter on Instagram, and, and then his podcast. Gosh, it wasn't that great. I forgot the name of his podcast right in the middle of plugging it. Jesus um, sometimes I wonder about myself, you know, just when you think you're getting down this, this podcasting, all of a sudden, you know, you, you go to, go to plug it in there and just my mind goes blank. I couldn't think of it, but he reacted quick and, and didn't seem like a big deal. But, uh, anyways, uh, just typical for me. Um, but yeah, go check him out. Hunt Harvest Health is his podcast. It's a great podcast and, and, uh, Ryan's just a super guy. And if, if you liked him on Eastman Elevated, uh, make sure you reach out to him and and let him know um you know these guys that are coming on these guys are sharing more information than they share in other places you know i'm i'm picking their brain about specifics and and which places they're hunting and and how they're being successful and we're sharing all that information over the airwaves i mean ryan's given away all his secrets to to what makes him successful you know so um, you know, if you do like him on, on Eastman's Elevated, uh, nothing helps me out more than reaching out to him and say, hey, Ryan, you were you were great on that podcast or thanks for sharing. Um, make sure he knows that he's that he's reaching people out there. But um, another episode in the books, episode 21, um, starting to get the hang of this other than remembering people's podcasts and information. But uh, other than that, things are going good. So I hope you guys have a good rest of the week. I'll uh, check in with you next week.